For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. What's going on, everybody? Thank you so much for wrapping up your week with us. This is your Friday edition of Fantasy MLB Today. We're a sports ethos presentation, of course, and I'm your host, Joe Orico. You guys can find me over on Twitter at JoeOrico99 and also at EthosFantasyBB. That's where you find all of our new content on the baseball side, whether it be podcasts, articles, news, polls, everything that we got, we do share out over at EthosFantasyBB. If you guys are not using social media, please do go to sportsethos.com and you find all that same great content over there. Now, we've been looking at projections these last few days. We've been talking about Steamer. We did a starting pitcher show. We did a show looking at the entire batter pool, hitter pool. And then yesterday we looked at relief pitchers and talked about a couple of things uh, that I particularly look at with these projections. Now, we've got through that. We're going to talk about the different projection systems as they come out throughout the offseason. We'll talk about the bat. We'll talk about zips a little bit. We'll talk about ATC. And we'll talk about my own projections that I'll have uh, later on throughout the offseason as well. But today we're going to get back to our positional review shows, and we're going to talk about second base. Now, there are a few players that we have already talked about because there's multiple position eligibility. There are some guys that are overlapping in shortstop and third base. So we'll still talk about them a little bit, but we don't need to go into as much depth. And there's actually quite a few of them today. Uh, that do have multi-positional eligibility that we've already talked about. So we'll kind of gloss over them a little bit, starting off with Mookie Betts. Mookie Betts was the number one second baseman in fantasy this year. He was the number four overall player. And Mookie Betts, I mean, we did talk about him when we did our shortstop show because he did have, or he did have shortstop eligibility. That will be going away, depending on your platform. Uh, he played 16 times at short, so in those... Uh, Yahoo ESPN leagues, he will still have shortstop, but he will not carry it in the NFBC format because you do need to have at least 20 appearances at a position to carry over that eligibility. But you're still looking at second base and outfield Mookie, and I've talked about specifically with him how he is so incredibly valuable regardless of your format. If you are in an NFBC league where you need to have five outfielders rostered, then you're probably going to have Mookie Betts in an outfield spot because it's a more scarce position in that kind of format. There are 75 outfielders that need to be started every single week, plus people on the bench, plus utility. You know, you're probably looking at about 90 outfielders in that kind of format. If you are talking about a shallower format, let's call it a 12-team regular head-to-head style league where you have 36 outfielders, you have one second baseman, that kind of format, you're probably putting Mookie in at second because it'll be a lot easier to come up with different outfield options and second still remains a relatively scarce position outside of the top grouping of names. So the versatility that you have with him is a huge part of his value. I mean, he is in and of himself incredibly valuable. The, the, the production that he gives you this year alone was nearly 40 homers, 14 steals, a 307 average, and then a ridiculous 126 runs and 107 RBI. That obviously is incredibly valuable, but the eligibility that he does carry 
is just another added bonus. And the reason why I think Mookie makes a, a very strong case to be taken second overall, I, I tweeted this out a couple of days ago, talking about the early drafts. At the time, there had been 19. I'm not sure how many there have been at this point, talking NFBC early drafts. But Ronald Acuna had gone first in all of them. And then there were six different players who had been taken as a second overall pick. Mookie was one of them, and I think Mookie makes a really strong case, regardless of your format, to go at number two. You know, a lot of people are, I tweeted it out, I asked, who would you guys take at number two? The majority of the answers were Julio Rodriguez and Bobby Wood Jr., and I don't have any problem with that, but considering what Mookie gives you on the field, production-wise, to go along with the ability to move him around your lineup, I think that he's probably going to end up at number two in my rankings. I mean, at worst, he'll be number three or number four. Uh, at the absolute worst, but if you're getting him anywhere in that range right after Acuna, there's there's no too early to draft him. Uh, he's definitely one of the most valuable players in baseball. You guys already know this. And now we're going to add probably Shohei Otani to that lineup to just bolster the counting stats even further. So it could be a scary season for Mookie. I don't think he'll be number one overall player next year, but he could definitely compete uh, for that top two or three positions for sure. Now Marcus Semien was the number two second baseman. We've talked about Marcus Semien because he did carry shortstop eligibility on Yahoo this year, so we've already talked about him on the shortstop show, but we'll talk about him here again. Now, he's not somebody who is going to carry that eligibility over. He played 162 games, and they were all at second base. Kind of impressive. You don't really see that ever. Uh, you know, you usually see one or two DH games, or you know, you have to move out of position once or twice, but to play in every single game and to have every single game at that one position Pretty rare for Semyon. Now, he will not carry that shortstop eligibility, but that doesn't really matter to me so much. Second base is the much weaker position of the two. If you had to choose one or the other, you're taking second base. Marcus Semyon has been the face of consistency at the position for for pretty much his whole career. Going back to 2015, when he became a full-time player, he's played in the full season every year except for 2017. He has played 155 or more games. And, of course, I am excluding the 2020 season, where he played 53 out of 60 games that season. But Marcus Semien is one of the most consistent batters you can have. You're taking him probably end of the second, beginning of the third this year, and it's completely justified. 122 runs, 100 RBI for the best offense in baseball, or close to it anyway. They weren't better than the Braves, but, I mean, they won the World Series. It's hard to argue against them being a top two or three offense in baseball. Regular season-wise, most statistics, they ranked second or third in baseball. So there's really... No risk about that uh, in terms of the other team around Semyon. You got Evan Carter and Wyatt Langford, who should just be, you know, Carter we've already seen as a stud. Wyatt Langford is some people's number one prospect in all of baseball. They should be up full time next season. Langford might not debut to start the year, but you're just going to add more firepower to that lineup. With Semyon at the top, there's going to be untold opportunities for have for him having five category uh, fantasy value here. The steals fell down a little bit from 25 to 14. And as he gets into his 30s, we probably won't see him steal as much, but it doesn't really matter considering the fact that you are getting close to 30 homers, 100 and 100, with a 260 to 270 kind of batting average. Even if he does drop off the 10 steals next year, I don't think anybody would be too, too upset with Marcus Simeon based on everything else that he does. Let's talk about a second baseman that we haven't talked about yet because there is only one position of eligibility for him, and that is Ozzie Albies. If you got the discount on Ozzie Albies this past year, you were very happy with it because Ozzy Albies had kind of a down year uh, in 2022. Obviously, he was hurt, but even like on a per-game basis, the numbers were not great in his 64 games. Only eight homers, three steals. He batted 247. People are going to be a little bit gun-shy about drafting somebody who was injured the year prior. It will just naturally knock them down a round or two, especially when you're coming from a place of Albies in 2021, 
where he was going, I believe, in the second round uh, coming into 2022. He had 30 homers, 20 stolen bases, and the 260 average with 103 runs and 106 ribbies. People were drafting him incredibly high up. In 2022, if you invested, it did not go terribly well, but this past season, if you invested in Ozzie Albies, you got 33 homers, 13 steals, and a 280 batting average with 96 runs and 109 RBI. I think you can justifiably take Albies in the second round, end of the second round, maybe the third round early portion. That lineup around him is not going away. It's still going to be that incredible lineup that we that we know and love. Um, his production is amazing at a fairly scarce position in second base. Like I said, the top is pretty heavy. But once you get outside of those top names, eh, it's not the greatest position. You got guys like Luis Arise finishing in the top 10, Justin Turner. Uh, you know, there were some seasons that were kind of just okay that still were top 10 second base seasons. And, you know, they were top 10 second base seasons, so they were still valuable. But I'm saying that there is a drop-off, certainly, once you leave the Betts, Semyon, Albies, kind of Altuve tier. There is definitely a drop-off. We won't talk about Altuve today because he missed a good portion of the season. He was not a top 10 second baseman this year. But there are not that many names outside of those four that I mentioned that you feel really terribly confident about. So if you want to take Ozzy Albies, you're going to probably have to pay a second round price for him. His ADP right now on the NFBC is 23. And he's actually been taken in the first round. He went with 14 as the minimum pick, 36 as the maximum pick. But I think right there uh, is a sweet spot in that ADP in the 23 to 30-ish kind of range. Middle to back end of the second round is probably where Ozzy Albies should be going, and I don't think I have any problem taking him there uh, as of right now. There's nothing to say that Ozzy Albies can't just continue to do what he has done these last couple of years, and I think that if he keeps this up, he's going to be on a Hall of Fame trajectory. I think he honestly probably already is, so we'll have to see if he can keep this up, but I don't think there's any real reason to doubt that he can. The number four second baseman will probably surprise you, even if you were somebody like myself who paid a lot of attention to baseball, obviously. Uh, Nico Horner was the number four second baseman by total value, if you look at Yahoo, and he was the 52nd ranked player overall. Now, we talked about him on the shortstop show. He will retain shortstop eligibility. He got in 20 appearances there on the dot, 20 exactly, 135 appearances at second base. Obviously, with Dansby Swanson, he wasn't going to be needed a lot uh, over at shortstop. But what he gave you still as a second base player, second base and shortstop player, was nine homers, which is whatever, but 43 stolen bases, a 283 batting average, 98 runs. I shouldn't even dismiss the home runs because as we've talked about with Nico Horner, the first part of his career, it didn't look like he was really going to be hitting any home runs at all. He didn't play a lot of games in those first couple seasons, but the power really did not look like it was there. And then in 2022, he hits 10 homers. Last year, he hits nine homers. And it looks like he is actually not breaking out power-wise, but giving you something where he was a zero previously to go along with the high batting average, the good stolen bases, and probably decent counting stats at the top of the Cubs order. I don't really have a reason to doubt him, but I don't think that we should be drafting him anywhere near where he's finishing this season. I think that is one of the classic examples of probably overestimating uh, a player's ability in the long run and probably paying a little bit for the prior year's stats, which we all do you know it's just something that you can't really avoid so much you're going to pay for last year's stats to some extent with some of these players but Nico Horner's minimum pick is 49 that's a little bit much for me the maximum pick is 100 he's always a top 100 pick his ADP is 72 and I think it's okay but I don't think it's amazing at that point you're going to have to regress the stolen bases he's not going to have 43 I think the steamer projections were 31 or something that's probably about where I'll be, you know, the high 20s, low 30s. I just don't think that that's necessarily a repeatable number for him. 
it's tricky to repeat that kind of stolen base production year after year for anybody. But for a guy like Nico Horner, who I don't think is the fastest guy in the world, I think he's more of an opportunistic stealer. I don't know that we're necessarily going to be able to put him down. He's fast, don't get me wrong, but I don't think he is in that top tier of speed like a lot of these other guys that have massive stolen base totals. So I think we're probably going to have to regress that a little bit. I've talked about how probably the run total won't be as lofty without Cody Bellinger in the lineup. I think there's a chance of that anyway. I, think, I still think he's going to be a fine, valuable, multi-eligible player, but I don't know that we need to push him up so much. Like If he's going in the 40s, I think that's where I'm going to have to tap out and become not interested. As much as I'd like to be, that's just a little bit too expensive for me there. But I do think that he's a valuable player, assuming you're getting him in the back part of the top 100, if it's like the 80 to 100 range, which is where I think he'll probably go in a lot of these Yahoo 12-team league drafts. That is what I am thinking for Horner. But, I mean, if he gets helium, if he hits a couple home runs in spring training and people push him up into the 40s, 30s, whatever, I just can't get behind it at that price. Let's move on. Let's talk about the number five second baseman for the year, and that was Cattell Marte. What a bounce back Cattell Marte had. I wasn't really expecting it. I thought that he was probably coming into the year someone who was being underdrafted a little bit. I thought he was a decent value, but I never expected this. 25 homers, he got up to 8 steals, 94 runs, and a 276 batting average. I mean, Ketel Marte, if you're looking at Yahoo's rankings, the 65th ranked player for the whole season. That's really valuable. He got a pretty close to what he did in 2019, minus the batting average, of course, but very similar type of, type of numbers. He was within 7 homers, he was within 3 runs, he was within about 8 RBI, 10 RBI, and a couple steals. It wasn't exactly 2019. That was obviously kind of an outlier for him, but it was pretty damn close, and it was good to see him get back there in his age 29 season. Now, going forward into next year, Cattell is just going to be second base eligible, depending on your site. I think he was probably just second base coming into the year. He played a couple times in the outfield, one time at short, uh, but he is going to be strictly second base, and I think I'm going to be in uh, on Cattell Marte. I'm going to just take a quick look at the price because the prices are kind of moving around for everybody right now. Uh, but Cattell Marte is currently being drafted at an ADP of 128 between the range of 104 and 156. I'll take it. I'll take it at that price. I think this Diamondbacks team is just going to keep getting better. They just went to the World Series. They kind of were a year or two ahead of their timeline in doing so, but they showed the offensive potential there. The offense was was pretty good. Their pitching was definitely a big reason why they got there, but you're also looking at a really strong offense featuring the likes of Corbin Carroll and Christian Walker. I think that you got Marte. In that post-pick 100 range, it's going to be pretty hard for him to hurt you as a 4-5 to five category producer. I know only 8 steals. It's hard to say that's a quote-unquote category. But when you factor that in with the home runs, which maybe you're going to regress to like 20 or so, but 20 homers, 80-some-odd runs, 80-some-odd RBIs, and we know the batting average is pretty strong for his career. 276 this year, 279 on the career. Let's say we call it a 270 batting average. I think you're going to be pretty happy with that post-pick 100 uh, for a guy in a lineup that could just, you know, actually surprise us in terms of the run and RBI total. Maybe it's not 80 and 80. Maybe it's closer to 100 and 100 like we saw this year with the 94 runs scored. I definitely think it's a possibility for Marte. He's somebody that won't be terribly highly drafted, but I think we should probably keep a pretty close eye on his ADP because he will be somebody that is just one of those boring players, right? He did have a good season, so people will kind of push him up, but he's not somebody that is going to be one of those, you know, big, sexy Matt McClain, Royce Lewis, Nolan Jones, Ellie De La Cruz types that people will be focusing on and pushing up. Once you hit 30, people start to forget about you. You're playing in Arizona. I know they went to the World Series, but they're still not a team that gets a ton of focus. I think Marte is going to be one of those guys that is a great value uh, heading into next year. 
But let's talk about the next guy on the list. That's number six, and that's Justin Turner. Justin Turner picked up second base eligibility throughout the season, and that's why we're talking about him here. Depending on your format, he may keep it, he may not. NFBC, he will not. Um, Yahoo and ESPN and those kind of leagues, I think he will based on the 10 appearances there. He also had 41 appearances at first. Majority of the time, <clears throat> Justin Turner was DHing. That was 98 appearances there. But he was also able to get in all over the infield. And if you're talking Yahoo, he played seven times a third. So he's also third base, I think, to carry over into next year as well. Um, but the production was what really surprised us with Justin Turner. After 2022, I and a lot of people were, were pretty much thinking, okay, I, I don't know what we're really going to get out of him at this point. Batting average floor is there, but the power seemed to have gone down. Going to a team in Boston that, you know, let's let's face it, they're a worse offense than he was leaving in Los Angeles. But Justin Turner played 146 games. He drove in 96 runs while batting 23 out of the yard. 86 runs scored, four stolen bases, and that batting average floor remained there as always at 276. Now, Justin Turner, I believe, is a free agent, and I'm not sure what is going to happen with him. Um... He could very well continue to do this for another year, but at this point, we're going into his age 39 season. It would have to be a really good opportunity for Justin Turner to be able to replicate this and for me to be actually interested in him. Now, I don't think he's going to be somebody that gets drafted terribly high up and let's just pull up the Boston. I think he's still classified under Boston in the NFBC. He is. His ADP is 243, minimum of 166, maximum of 285. I think at the larger end of that, it's okay if you're getting him in like the 250 to 280 kind of range, then I'm okay with it. But there's also a chance with Justin Turner that it just completely, he completely falls off a cliff. And we've already kind of seen it a couple times in his career that he's prone to having these great seasons followed by kind of down years. And I don't know that he's somebody that I want to necessarily invest in, especially if you're talking like people who are drafting right now, NFBC leagues. He's going to be first base only, and that's a huge difference between the platforms. If you're talking NFBC, Yahoo, ESPN, is who qualifies where. Because Justin Turner at first, second, and third eligibility is a hell of a lot more interesting than Justin Turner just with first base eligibility. At that point of the draft, especially if you're taking like a draft champions team right now, a draft and hold where you don't get to pick up players in season, you want that extra versatility. So a guy like Turner, and that's what a majority of the drafts are right now, is draft champions. You take a guy like Turner – those middle rounds can be still pretty important in the 240 range. Of draft champion, there's 750 players drafted, so he's still going in the top third of those drafts. I think at that point, it's kind of risky to invest a lot in a guy who's single eligible, who's going to be 39 years old, and who we don't even know where he's going to be playing. So I think there's a lot of risk in Justin Turner. I don't mind it. Like I said, at the higher end of the price, if you're getting him at 275, I think that you could do worse probably. But there is also a lot of wild cards here that I think we need to be very careful of uh, with Justin Turner as well. Let's talk Luisa Rise. Luisa Rise was somebody that was not terribly surprising, I don't think, what he did this season. Uh, I mean, the batting average stayed higher than I think a lot of people expected. But generally speaking, he gave you kind of what you were expecting. A lot of people thinking he was going to hit 400 was kind of hilarious. It's never going to happen again. No one's ever batting 400 again in Major League Baseball. I'm sorry. It's just... It's just the way the game is now. We don't see it. Arise is the closest we're probably going to see, and he was like in the 370s, 380s for a good portion of the year, and he ended up at 354. He ended up barely edging out Acuna for the batting title. It was like 17 points or 16 points, and it was pretty clear that it was going to be Arise for a while. I thought he might lose it down the stretch because he did kind of struggle, but at the end of the day, he batted 354 
with 10 homers, 71 runs, uh, 69 RBI, and only three stolen bases. But that was good enough for the seventh-ranked uh, second baseman here, if we're talking about head-to-head slash roto leagues. I think that he's okay, but he's a certain build type of guy. You can't just take him on any team. Uh, if you're looking at his price right now, it's 157 the minimum pick is hilarious at 51, and the maximum is 256, which is also probably too late at that point. But Luis Arise is somebody that you have to kind of pair with one of those big power guys, or at, le- at least one of those big power guys to make it really worth your while. Uh, you know, if you pair him with Kyle Schwarber or somebody like that, Max Muncy, I think that that makes sense. You know, you're kind of offsetting the categories, so you're getting the high batting average or the low batting average, a lot of speed or a lot of homers with not a lot of homers. You also probably need to factor in that there's not a lot of speed you're going to be getting out of a guy that you're going to be slotting into your second base slot, which, I mean, some second basemen are good for speed. Usually you're hoping for a a little bit more than three, probably, so that's another thing that you're going to have to kind of factor in there if you do take Luis Arise. I'm not overly impressed by, by the overall profile. I know the batting average is good, and it is hard to come across late batting average, so that can work for you. But you're looking at a guy who could very realistically, like he's had 8 and 10 home runs these last couple of years, but there's pretty much no power in that bat. He could go down to four home runs next season, and nobody would be surprised. So that's definitely an issue, the the lack of power and speed you're getting from second base. And also the counting stats. You know, he had 140 runs in RBIs this year. It's all right. It's not great for a guy who's getting on base as much as he is, who's batting most of the time, in the first third of the order, pretty much every single time he's batting first, second, or third in that lineup, and yet we're only talking about 71 runs scored in 147 games. I don't think that's going to get a lot better next season. So I think Arise does fit on certain teams. He's not somebody that I'm actively targeting across all of my rosters. There's a very risky profile for fantasy. Um, I just mentioned Max Muncy is a decent pairing, and he is actually the next guy in the second base rankings for the season. He finished as the number eight second baseman. I was so far out on Max Muncy. I might have ranked him lower than anybody else coming into the season. But he proved me wrong, and he proved a lot of people wrong. He bounced back. He hit 36 homers. He had a 105 RBI, 95 runs scored. The batting average is terrible for him, and I don't get why it's so bad now, just really truly selling out for power at this point, I guess. But it was 212 after having a 196 batting average the previous year. Now, for eligibility's sake, Max Muncy is just going to be third base uh, coming into this year. For Yahoo, anyway, he had second and third. Now, he did not play a single time at second base this past season, 124 times at third, and he was a DH 10 times as well. Now, he has a club option for 2024. I think they're probably going to pick it up at $13.5 million. It's pretty cheap considering what you can probably get out of Muncy. I like him, but again, he is a guy who fits in a certain build. Uh, if you are taking the Kyle Schwarber types, taking a Max Muncy type, it's going to be really hard to get out of that hole for batting average. Now, the price is pretty good. At 162, between the ranges of 131 and 188, I can get behind taking Max Muncy on one or two teams, but it does have to come with a high batting average type of pairing. You're getting a Yandy Diaz, you're getting a Corey Seager, you're getting a, a Rise, or somebody along those lines that is going to offset the horrible batting average you get from Max Muncy. Assuming he's with the Dodgers still, Assuming he comes back and they pick up the option, I don't see any reason why he can't give you some rough uh, rough copy of what he did this year. Maybe it won't be 36 home runs again. The projections, the early projections have him for about 27. But let's say it's like 30 homers, 
90 runs, 90 RBI. There is definitely room for that on every single fantasy team. It's just a matter of how you construct your roster. It's not a type of guy where you can literally take him on any single team and he will just kind of boost you across the board. He will sink your batting average. He will sink it. So if you take Kyle Schwarber early on, you have to kind of know in the back of your head, I can't take Muncy. Unless you literally get Diaz, Seager, and Arise. I don't know that you can take both of them. So he is kind of build specific, but the value is there. Uh, if you are able to get Max Muncy in that round 10 or so range, yeah, roughly round 10 of a 15-teamer, round 10, round 11. I think you're going to probably be pretty happy with what he's able to give you considering what you're going to have to spend on him. He, he bounced back, and I did not expect it. Good for him. Uh, and I think that, honestly, probably I should have seen it because the large majority of the track record was 30-plus home run seasons. The offense was still good. And I think I overestimated coming into this year how the Dodgers offense was going to perform. I figured losing Trey Turner and losing Bellinger to some extent was really going to hurt them. It didn't. It, it didn't really hurt them at all. They're one of those teams, a different version of the Rays, that can just always succeed no matter what really happens. They are usually able to just kind of power through. And we saw that with guys like Muncie really having a bounce back with J.D. Martinez. I mean, they just were able to get production uh, from places that you weren't really expecting it. Let's move on. <clears throat> Let's talk about Glaber Torres. He is the last second baseman to finish inside of the top 100 this year. He was the 95th ranked player, according to Yahoo. And Glaber was one of the few Yankees, probably maybe not the only one, but one of the few Yankees that you weren't disappointed about if you drafted them. Yankees fans, baseball fans, fantasy baseball managers. If you drafted Glaber, uh, you were probably pretty happy with yourself. 25 homers, 13 steals, a 273 batting average, 90 runs scored, and 68 RBI. He played 158 games. And, you know, I've heard some people talk that maybe they're going to trade Glaber Torres. This has been a, a talking point the last couple of days that I've seen anyway that Glaber Torres could be traded to the Red Sox in a one-for-one swap for Alex Verdugo. I don't see that happening personally. If it does, I don't know that I'd really change my outlook on Glaber that much. It would probably be pretty similar. A couple of hitter-friendly parks, whether you're talking Yankee Stadium or you're talking Fenway. Now, Fenway, I think, is generally more favorable to lefties. I'm not looking at park factors right now, so maybe that would not be the greatest thing, but I think overall it doesn't really matter if he's playing for the Yankees or the Red Sox. Yankees fans would probably be pretty upset based on the season that he had. He got his walk rate up to 10%. He cut his strikeout rate from 22 to 14%. He looked great. He honestly looked great. And like I said, he was one of the few Yankees that you were drafting that you were very, very happy about. Now, going into next year, I think that he is another guy that you can probably wait on a little bit, and he'll be a pretty decent value. Well, he's won a little bit earlier than I thought. At pick 105, I think it's still pretty decent value. At the minimum pick at 71, Maybe we're pushing him a little bit there if you're talking like round six, round five. I mean, that's round five right there of a 15-teamer. That's probably pushing it too much. The back end where he's going at the max pick is 122, and at that point, I think you're you're in good hands. You're getting him in round eight, round nine kind of range. That would be ideal, obviously. But if you're getting him even at the ADP of 105, I don't think you can be that disappointed in getting him about round seven, round eight on that kind of turn, considering the production that you're going to get, right? If you get a full year of healthy Aaron Judge, Volpe, another year along in his progression. The Yankees, I don't know if they're going to sit on their hands this, this summer or this winter, I should say. I think that they're probably going to go out and get Bellinger. They're probably going to do something to bolster that offense because they're sick of the way that things have gone. Specifically, this last year was very embarrassing for the organization. 
It was further embarrassing the other day when Brian Cashman decided to go and open his mouth and say a bunch of absolutely ridiculous things at a press conference. So I think the Yankees are generally feeling embarrassed, and they might want to compensate for that on the field. That's the way they've kind of always done things, not necessarily the embarrassment part, but throw money at the problem is what they have generally done, and I don't see this offseason being much different. Now, I know that hasn't really been the Yankee mentality as of late, but they did just sign Carlos Rodon, give him a shit ton of money. They gave Aaron Judge a shit ton of money. So I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility the Yankees go out and get two big pieces for the lineup and they really remake it into that, you know, maybe not the Brogs Bombers necessarily, but into a really, really solid lineup where you have a guy like Glaber who is going to just benefit based on the team, I think, spending money. That's what I expect to happen. Glaber is somebody that I think is probably going to stick around the top of the order. His batting order really does move around. 33 times he was leading off, 33 times at second. 55 times batting third, 20 times batting fourth, and 13 times batting fifth, and then a couple times sixth and eighth. He does move around, but he should be at the top of the order. And if what I think is going to happen actually comes correct, then you could see Glaber Torres legitimately put up 100 runs with 75 or 80 RBI, 25 to 30 homers, and that strong batting average we've come to see from him, 273 this year. He's a 267 career hitter. In this day and age, that is pretty much might as well be 300. So I think that Glaber Torres, probably somebody that is going to be a good investment around pick 100, also does depend on what the Yankees do this offseason. But as of right now, I do like it. I do like the price. Now let's talk about one more guy today. We'll round out the top 10, and that's Spencer Steer. We have talked about Spencer Steer on the third base show, but we'll talk about him again here. I think that Spencer Steer is interesting, but he's also risky. And I think the price is kind of a little bit too much for what we can expect from Spencer Steer. It's 102 same kind of range as Glaber Torres, minimum pick of 72, maximum of 158. He went pretty early in the draft I did in Arizona. I want to say fifth round. I just can't really get behind it. I mean, I know the production is there, and I've kind of gone back and forth a little bit on Steer. I think it really honestly just depends on what Cincinnati does this offseason. Cincinnati needs to make a trade or two because there are too many mouths to feed in that offense. I know they got rid of Joey Votto, which was which was terrible. We didn't talk about that on the show here. I think he'll latch on to somebody. Maybe, hopefully, the Blue Jays sign him as kind of a bench piece, pinch hitting guy, somebody who can sub in for Vladdy once or twice. Um, but they are needing to clear out more space than that in order for there to be actual room on this roster for everybody to flourish. Let me pull up the roster resource page and just see what they currently have slotted in for Cincinnati. But it's a little bit troubling to try and project playing time for all of these young studs that they have. So right now they have Jake Fraley projected to be on the bench with Nick Senzel. Probably going to happen. Um, the way that they have the lineup drawn up right now is TJ Friedel, Matt McClain, Spencer Steer, Christian Encarnacion, Strand, Jonathan India, Will Benson, Noelvi Marte, Ellie Dela Cruz, and Tyler Stevenson. I don't know that that's the way it's going to look to start the year, though. Ellie's probably going to be farther up close to the top. Potential for Marte to be as well. I think Steer will be likely lower down the order, and I don't know that India will be on this team. Crazy to look at a lineup where the oldest player is 28 years old and is TJ Friedel. It's actually That's actually boggling to look at. But that's the situation they're in. There are so many young guys that have come up recently. You know, Steer himself, Strand. India's only been up for a couple of years, really. It's not like he's some old veteran. Marte, Dela Cruz, all these young mouths to feed something's going to have to give. And the way it's currently constructed right now, I don't know that they're going to go into the season the way it looks. I think that somebody will be traded. I don't think it will be Steer. I think it'll probably be India. But we also don't know if that'll be the case. That's what everybody expects it to be. 
but there's a chance they don't trade India. They go into the season the way it is currently constructed, and then everybody is kind of missing the odd day here and there. It didn't bother. It didn't affect Steers or his value this year, 156 games. But I think there's more risk than we want to accept, especially considering where he is going in drafts. He's going past pick 100 or something routinely, then I could take it. But the fact that his minimum pick is already in the 70s, and I saw him myself go in the fifth round of a draft in person a few days ago, I think we're going to start probably pricing him out a little bit. He's a really solid all-around contributor. Third, uh, third, excuse me, 23 homers, 15 steals, and a 271 batting average. Good, good, solid 20% strikeout rate and 10% walk rate. Like, the plate profile is really good. I think it's more so the fact that I just don't really trust Cincinnati at this point, considering there are just a lot of pieces in that infield. And we haven't even gone through free agency. Maybe they want to bring in somebody that's going to, you know, be a mentor guy, whatever. I don't know, because they just let go of Votto. And you figure Votto would be that role, but maybe they do bring in somebody else. They bring in an outfielder or somebody. I don't know. We have to go through the entire offseason process. There's a lot of moving parts, but right now, Steer makes me a little nervous. And it's not so much because of him, it's because of the organization that he plays for and the fact that they're just super talented, right? He's going the same place as Clayber Torres, but Clayber Torres, I know for sure, is going to play in 150 games. There's not going to be any problems in terms of competing for a job or anything like that. He's playing with this inferior team. For sure, in my opinion. But I know the at-bats are going to be there. Where with Steer, I think they're going to be there. But I also do have some doubts uh, in the back of my head. Let me know what you guys think. Over on Twitter, of course, at JoeOrico99. Also at Ethos Fantasy BB and SportsEthos.com, the website. We'll pick this up where we left off on Monday. We'll go through 11 through 20. And then on Tuesday, barring any massive baseball news over the weekend, of course, we need to talk about uh, we'll go through some other names that are outside of the top 20 that I do find interesting. That's kind of been our format here. If you guys have missed these review shows, we go through the top 20 in the first two parts of the show. And then in part three, we will talk about some guys that were not in that mix that were either really interesting and they just missed or guys that had down seasons that I think are going to bounce back or just interesting names one way or the other outside of that top 20. But like I said, hit us up on socials. Let us know what you think of the pod. If you have not already done so, rate and reviewing the show really helps others to find it, especially in the downturn of baseball content in the offseason. So you guys can really help out with a rating slash a review. But until next time, guys, which will be on Monday, take care, have a great weekend, and cheers. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.